You are listening to Sanction School, a podcast by UK Finance. During each episode, our UK Finance hosts, Neil Wiley and Anila Haleem, are joined by guest teachers and students to simplify sanctions together. The students will be taught a key area of sanctions and later be tested on their knowledge with 10 quick-fire questions. Join us, test your knowledge, and let's see how we score. Welcome to the UK Finance Sanctions School. I'm Neil Wiley. I'm the Director of Sanctions at UK Finance. This is our first year of Sanctions School, and today we're going to start by discussing what sanctions are. I'd like to welcome today our teacher, who is Maya Lester, KC. Hello. And of course, our willing student, Carmen. Hello. Maya, it's good to see a former Sanctions School pupil come back to help teach sanctions, uh, especially to those just starting out on their journey. I see when you were at Sanctions School yourself, you were not only head pupil, but also house captain, a worthy CV. I'm sure you'll agree. But I'm absolutely sure that since leaving Sanctions School, you've moved on to greater things. Can you introduce yourself and today's session? Thank you so much. So I'm a barrister at Brickcourt Chambers and I specialise in all kinds of sanctions law. There wasn't any course like this when I started, so I very much learned on the job. Uh, And I have a blog, europeansanctions.com, where I try and learn about sanctions uh, and provide information myself. So what we thought we would do today is just have a really basic introduction to sanctions. So we're talking about what are sanctions And uh, I will go through a few basic pointers. So sanctions are tools of foreign policy. So government's foreign policy tools include obviously all kinds of things, going to war, diplomacy, but also sanctions. But they take the form of legal instruments, of pieces of law, which is why they're interesting to, to lawyers. Who imposes sanctions? Well, groups of countries acting together. So the United Nations is the sort of largest in terms of the number of countries imposing sanctions and also the European Union, a group of countries, but also sometimes individual countries. So the United States of America is a big individual imposer of sanctions. Now post-Brexit, the United Kingdom is also a big imposer of sanctions. We used to do that as part of the EU. Now we do it ourselves. But then lots of other individual countries too. Russia imposes sanctions, Japan, Australia, Canada, a whole load of different countries. Why do they impose sanctions? Well, lots and lots of different reasons, which I suppose broadly you could call foreign policy, but they cover lots of different things. So some have quite a specific aim. For example, trying to stop Iran developing nuclear weapons, trying to freeze the assets of terrorists. At the moment, you could say trying to stop President Putin's war in Ukraine. They can also have a much more general aim, like disapproval of human rights abuses, of undermining the rule of law, sending a signal that the international community or a particular country disapproves of the country on whom sanctions are imposed. Sometimes sanctions are imposed in relation to a country. So we have sanctions regimes relating to Russia, Iran, Syria, North Korea, lots of other countries. When I say imposed in relation to a country, I mean that as opposed to on a country because we don't anymore have entire sanctions on a country. There's no blockades of countries, full-scale, comprehensive blanket sanctions anymore. There used to be 
those were considered to be a bit unfair because they had an obvious impact on innocent civilians. So now they try to be a bit more targeted and we'll come on to that in a moment. But as well as countries, there are what have become known as sort of thematic sanctions. So sometimes sanctions regimes which don't relate to a particular country but relate to something like cyber attacks, gross violations of human rights, corruption across the world. Their people can be targeted by sanctions whatever country they come from. Could you please explain what regimes are? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about a sanctions regime, we basically mean a sanctions programme, so a body of sanctions law that relates to one country. So you have what the lawyers would call one sanctions regime relating to Russia. Actually, you have several. One regime relating to Iran, one relating to Syria. And it basically means a group of restrictions. So actually, your question is an excellent one because I was going to come on next to What form do these sanctions take? When we talk about sanctions, what kind of restrictions are we talking about? And these are different depending on what sanctions regime we're talking about, whether it's Syria, Russia, Iran, and so on. But although they're different, they they do fall into certain types and groups, which can be common to different regimes. So broadly speaking, there are two kinds of sanctions. There are targeted sanctions, which are sometimes called smart sanctions, And then there are non-targeted other sanctions, which have all sorts of different names. What do we mean by that? Well, as I've said, we don't have full-scale blockades anymore or boycotts. What we tend to try to do is to target the impact of the legal restrictions on those who are responsible for the foreign policies or the behaviour that the sanctions are trying to change. In the case of targeted sanctions, that means literally a list of people or companies, organisations, bodies in a particular jurisdiction relating to a particular regime on whom the legal restrictions lie. And those targeted lists tend to be two kinds of restrictions. One, an asset freezing measure. What does that mean? It means everyone on the list has all of their assets and economic resources frozen. They can't access them and it becomes prohibited to provide them with funds or resources. So asset freezing measures of that kind and also travel bans, so restrictions on those people going to or crossing over certain countries. So, for example, if you are on an EU sanctions list, it is very likely that you won't be allowed to travel to the European Union at all without permission. If you're on a UN counter-terrorist sanctions list, you can't travel to across you know, most of the world, United Nations, Security Council countries. When it comes to these targeted sanctions, there are, of course, different criteria for adding people to the list. So people can be added to these lists if they fit the description written down in the law. So, for example, if they are associated with a government that the sanctions are aimed at, if they are somehow responsible for or contributing to the war in Russia, let's say, if they are contributing to the development of nuclear weapons or connected with ISIL uh, and so on. It, it, those criteria, who can be added 
change a lot and they vary according, of course, to the regime and what they are trying to do. When it comes to these non-targeted types of sanctions, those are not just aimed at the people on the lists. Those are across the board. Wherever the sanctions apply, we'll come on to that. Wherever the sanctions apply, there are certain restrictions. For example, these take a hugely broad form. For example, restrictions on certain kinds of exports to countries, we call those export controls. Certain specific goods simply can't go to a particular country. There might be limits on the amount of money that can go to a state. Uh, Restrictions, obviously, on um, the financing of terrorism, on being able to raise sovereign debt or public financing and so on. And those are enormously varied. There are lots of different kinds of non-targeted sanctions aimed at everyone to whom they apply. So what kinds of laws are these? Well, where we're talking about the groups of countries imposing sanctions, so that's the United Nations and the uh, EU, what we have is UN Security Council resolutions or European Union laws that then have to be implemented by the countries where they apply. So member states of the United Nations have to have in their own domestic laws, laws which implement UN resolutions. And in the European Union, member states of the EU have to have their own legislation which implement those laws. Now, in the United Kingdom, Brexit made no difference to the UN laws because we were bound to implement UN law after Brexit. But it did make a difference, of course, to EU law, because after Brexit, we don't have to follow European Union law anymore. So we used to do this implementing via the European Communities Act. And now we have our own UK legislation. And there'll be another lesson where we talk a bit more about what the UK has done with its own law. But in the US, for example, which, as I've said, is one of the countries that imposes sanctions, it has its own law Uh, of different kinds which impose US sanctions. So it's very much down to the individual country's legal system what these sanctions actually look like as laws. Where do they apply? Well, um, wherever there is a sort of nexus, as it's called, with the person, the system imposing sanctions. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, EU sanctions apply to any EU national, EU incorporated body wherever they are in the world. So if you're an EU citizen and you're doing something in the United States, you're still bound by EU sanctions. They also apply within the territory of the EU. And again, this is slightly complicated law, but every different sanction system, be it US, Australia, Canadian, European Union, has written into it rules about where in the world they apply. That can lead to quite a lot of complexity, which I'll come back to a bit at the end. But there is a sort of division of responsibility between those imposing the sanctions, EU, UN, wherever it is, and the member states who I've said have to implement the laws. Because not only do the countries themselves have to have laws writing these sanctions into their law, but importantly, they also decide on the penalty for breach of sanctions. So will there be criminal or civil consequences if you breach sanctions, but also investigating breaches of sanctions. So going after people or companies to see if they've broken the law, punishing them if they have, and also granting what are called licenses, that's exceptions to sanctions. If someone wants to be able to spend money in a certain way, but their assets are frozen, 
they can apply to the government of wherever they live and say, I would like to be able to do this. So all of that happens at the kind of national level. And within each country, there is also a bit of a division of responsibility between government departments. So in the UK, the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office is responsible for the policy side of who do we impose sanctions on and why, for example. That would be the State Department in the US largely, whereas the Treasury Department, the finance people, Minister of finance in different countries are responsible for that licensing function, investigating breaches, sometimes with some of the criminal agencies as well. So I've talked a bit about how sanctions are enforced and breach of sanctions, but there is another area of interest which is compliance with sanctions. In other words, even if you're not penalised for breaching sanctions, there is a huge industry with which UK finance is very involved called compliance. So that is firms and people, companies, organisations of all kinds, making sure they don't break the law. How do they do that? Well, they design compliance programs. In other words, they look at their businesses and hopefully they say, they certainly should be saying, uh, what systems do we need in place? So, for example, we're a bank. We need to make sure we're not sending money to the people on those asset freeze lists I mentioned, because if we do supply funds to people on the list, we will be breaking the criminal law. How do we do that? And you can imagine very complex software systems tailored to the particular business and people doing individual checks of different kinds to try to make sure they're not breaking the law. And if they do so by mistake, for example, making sure they report it to the relevant authorities. So sanctions have an enormous, enormous impact on businesses of all kinds, big and small, charities, NGOs, individuals, people who are related to or associated with people on the list to try to work out what they can do, what they can't do, uh, and how to interact with their authorities to make sure that they're not breaking the law. And the last point really I want to make is that all of this makes up, as you can imagine, for a pretty complex picture of interwoven laws, sometimes different legal systems all having relevance to the same transaction or the same thing someone's trying to do. You can imagine multinational organisations have to deal with lots of different sanctions regimes, sometimes not only overlapping but conflicting with each other. Uh, and they have to try to work out, sometimes with the help of lawyers, sometimes not, what it is that they are trying to do. And the other aspect of complexity here is the fast changing and moving nature of sanctions. So it's been estimated that there are roughly 100 updates from each regime per year. That's a bit of a simplistic figure, but on the blog that I write, europeansanctions.com, we are putting updates about changes to these systems multiple times every day. Why is that? Well, for example, people will be added to these lists, people will be taken off the lists, there will be changes to the exceptions that are allowed, guidance is given on what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Uh, there are whole uh, amendments to the laws all the time. So this is an area of complexity, but also a real need to keep up to date with all of these different regimes and also to analyse each situation to work out where sanctions might or might not apply to a transaction. So who is involved? What are the nationalities of the people involved? Where is the conduct happening? What is the currency being used in a financial transaction? Are there contracts that govern the behaviour between the people involved? And so on. 
you can just see the kinds of questions that get asked every day in the world of sanctions. So that's all I wanted to say. Um, I hope it was useful. Uh, and I think there'll now be some questions resulting from what I've said. Okay, Maya, thank you for that. Um, now, Carmen, all schools have tests and this one's no different. And as the nominated examinations invigilator here at Sanction School, it's my job to oversee your final exam. So we have 10 questions. Let me know when you're ready and we'll make a start. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Can you tell me one of the areas that Sanctions covers? Um, international trade. Name a reason why sanctions may be imposed. To uh, change individuals and groups' behaviours. Very good. Who imposes sanctions? Um, so this could be uh, um, international bodies, such as the UN or the government. And what kind of targets are the sanctions themselves imposed on? Individuals, companies, businesses. And could you give me one type of sanction that we see imposed on those? Um, asset freeze. Very good. Maya mentioned the number of updates that we typically see in a year. How many do we typically see per programme a year? Approximately 100. Very good. So we see that sometimes groups of countries get together to put bans in. So uh, typically the US, UK may get together. We see the EU as a big group of countries. Is there another bigger group of countries that gets together to impose sanctions? The UN. Very good. So sanctions are imposed by lots of different nations and groups of nations. If you're in a single country, do you just have to adhere to their sanctions? No. Very good. So if, if a target has their assets frozen but they need to pay their gas bill, how would they go about getting the money out of a frozen account to do so? They can get a licence. Very good. Perfect. So, Carmen, I have your exam results here. They've come back from the markers, and I'd like to congratulate you on passing with a full-on 10 out of 10. That's an excellent score. Well done. Thank you. Okay, so I'd like to thank Maya for coming in to teach today and Carmen for being our willing pupil. Uh, and for those of you that are listening, these podcasts will be available on the UK Finance website, Spotify, and all other good podcast hosts there are also extra written resources available on the UK Finance website, which will cover each of the 12 lessons that we are undertaking for this series. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to Sanction School, a podcast by UK Finance. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and scored well on the test. Join us next time as we continue to explore the world of sanctions. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Apple and Spotify and visit ukfinance.org.uk to access our supporting educational material.